You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right. Okay. All right. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Uh, oh, there's so many people here. Oh, that's, so, that's so awesome. My name is... Uh, oh, no. It's like half a section. No. Uh, anyways, uh, my name is Nathan, and I am one of the leaders here at Rail City. If it's your first time here, I just want to welcome you to uh, the Sunday service. We're so glad you're able to join us. Uh, we, as a church, uh, as a campus, have been going through a series. Uh, the title up here, we see it says, Behold. And the series that we're in uh, really is sort of centered around this word, Behold. Now, behold is a bit strange. Now, if you're new and you're hearing this word for the first time, uh, it means to pay attention to. To, to focus, to look, and to, to pay attention to what is going on. So, behold, we have looked at Jesus' life in a few different ways. And some of the ways is this, is that we saw him in his prayer, where we saw him cry, and we see him at a meal, and we see him at a garden. Today's passage that we'll be looking at is through a trial, and that is through a trial now, if you're able to stand, something that we do is uh, we read the Word of God. We believe that God actually inspired these very words. So in the honor of reading God's Word, if you're able and if you're willing, if you could stand and we will read this passage. The passage that we'll be looking at is in John 18, starting at verse 28. John 18, verse 28. Now, this is a lengthy passage, so make sure you don't lock your knees, okay? You just like keep the study bent. <laughs> Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat at Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, would we have not delivered him over to you? Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you say you're a king? Jesus answered, You say you say I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back to the outside and to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. 
Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to him, said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and officers saw them, saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he had made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters and again asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know I hold the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought out Jesus and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramic Gabbatha. Now it was at the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. Lord Jesus, we have looked at your word. We looked at this story of how you pick up the cross and you are sentenced to die. Give us eyes to see, Lord, what is happening in this passage. Speak to us, Lord. Open our eyes, open our hearts for your glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. That was a very long passage. <laughs> so, if you know anything about me, I love movies. Okay, I am a huge movie fan. And one of my favorite directors is a guy named Christopher Nolan. Now, Christopher Nolan has directed a few movies like Interstellar, uh, Tenant, uh, Prestige, The Dark Knight. And what makes these movies so special is that he actually organizes it within a way is that as he's showing the movies, he does this neat trick where he pairs the, the beginning part of the story and the last part of the story together, and then he'll show it. But not only does it with the beginning and the end, but he also does it with the second part and the second last part. And then he'll do it with the third and the third last part. And it leads up to sort of this climax, sort of this, this huge action scene right in the middle where it shows it's the central sort of theme of what's going on in the whole story. Now, this parallel, parallelism here is nothing new, okay? Biblical writers have been using this sort of method of communication uh, for quite some time. And the passage that we just read actually matches that sort of organization. So to quickly go over here, we have a diagram just going sort of the, through uh, the, the, t, the key connecting points. If we can put that up. So we see in John 18, the beginning is connected to the end. 
the second to the second last, and the third to the third last. And the reason why that's the case is because that central piece, the central passage here, is to communicate a central uh, sort of main point that John wants his readers to understand, okay? Now, this is through a story, and we'll go through each section one by one, starting with the first one. And the first section of the story is this, is that Jesus is sought after and sentenced to the cross. Behold, Jesus is sought after and sentenced to the cross. As we saw last week, Camp preached on Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is arrested. As he is arrested, he is brought into sort of this interrogation courtroom place where they're questioning him, who he is, and they're trying to, uh, to kill him. They try to kill him, and they try to find this way to do it. So they go through this whole process. He's in an interrogation room, he's moved to the Jewish courts, and then he's moved to the Roman court. But why does this happen? Well, why are they out to kill Jesus? Why are the Jewish leaders out to get him? Well, one of the reasons why is because Jesus had made the claim to be the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is a title that we see in the New Testament, sorry, not the New Testament, the Old Testament, and where the Son of Man is a title uh, that explains a character who has dominion over many nations, many tongues, and many peoples. Not only would this character have all that dominion, but this character would also carry with him the glory of God. So this title is actually a loaded title that Jesus claims to have. Now this is offensive, okay? If you're a religious leader and you claim to be the God who you serve, we have to kill this man. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to carry his glory. He's, came, he's claiming to, to have all this dominion. It cannot be. He has to be executed. Now, to do this, they have to send him over to the Roman authority who can legally do this. Now, the Roman Empire has taken over Jerusalem, and they kind of run the whole show. In order for them to legally kill Jesus, it's going to have to be through them. So they send him through a man named Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate is a high-ranking Roman official, History cites that he was a brutal man who actually committed many cruel acts against the Jews. Under his hand, he is a powerful man who has you know, many troops under him and where whatever he says goes. And so the Jewish leaders bring Jesus over to his house and they plead with him. We have to kill this man. Pilate is probably walking out to his house and they see all the scene that's going on. And he just thinks at this moment, all this is just beneath him, okay? That this is just some religious group having some sort of debate, and you guys are just arguing. Look, sort it out yourselves. You guys have your own law. Figure it out. Now, growing up, me and my brothers, we would have pity fights over who would do the chores, okay? Hey, who would do the laundry? Who did the dishes? And sometimes my parents would have to lay down the law. Look, you guys just sort it out. It doesn't matter how it's done. As long as it's done, just figure it out. Just do the chores. Pilate thinks all of this is beneath him. But the Jewish leaders are pleading with him, no, this isn't just some small-time, petty little fight, but instead, this is actually a big deal. This is a big case that should be taken towards the city, a trial that should take place. They insist that what Jesus claims should be punishable by death. And so we see in John 18, verse 31, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So they looked to Pilate to do it. Now this is the beginning piece. Let's move to the end. In the end, we see that after being sought out, Jesus is sentenced to be crucified. 
Now, crucifixion is one of the most brutal ways to die. It was literally designed to maximize the highest level of suffering and to prolong it so that the suffering would just take longer throughout the whole process. Now, as the same Jewish people, the same Jewish leaders that sought out Jesus to be killed are the same people who determined the way that he dies. Jesus is sought after and is sentenced to the cross. The same people who want him dead are the same people who call for the type of death that he has. This is the link together from the beginning to the end. So they cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Because of this, they delivered him over to be crucified. Now, Jesus claiming to be God is offensive. In the immediate context for them, the implications would be, instead of submitting to some religious system that the Pharisees could control, if Jesus is claiming to be God, then we have to submit to him. And that is offensive because instead of us having control, it means that it is Jesus who is in control. It threatens their sense of control and power. And maybe for us, sometimes it's easier to make up the God of our own mind and of our own imagination instead of seeing who he claimed to really be. The leaders are threatened. They're not in control, but it's Jesus. And because of this, they are threatened and they want to kill him. He is sought after and he is sentenced to the crucifixion. The story continues where we head into the second part. Not only is Jesus sought after and sentenced to the crucifixion, but we also see the authority of Jesus. Behold, the authority of Jesus. So Pilate brings him in and he's questioning him. And the way that he questions is, again, Pilate is a high-ranking Roman official. His whole life, his career, all of his interests, every single thing is all for the purposes of the Roman Empire. If there is anything, any authority, anything competing power that threatens the power of Rome, it is his job to actually stop that, stomp it out, and to eliminate that threat. So straightforward, he asks Jesus, are you a king? Are you a king? Now, Jesus responds in a way that says, you know what, I'm not actually not a political authority that wants to compete with Caesar, but rather he is a king of another kingdom. He's a king of another kingdom. John 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Now, the second part of this story is linked with the second last, and where Pilate continues on in pressing in the conversation. Look, you say you're from another kingdom, right? From another world? Where did you say you come from? But Jesus actually remains silent. He remains silent, and Pilate says to him, don't you get it? I have the authority to free you or to crucify you. Your life hangs in the balance. Don't you get it? Why won't you say anything? I can free you right now. I have the authority to do so. And in John 19.10, don't you know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? There's this TV show called uh, The Undercover Boss, and sometimes I see different clips of it. And the premise is... Uh, is really this, is that there's a high-ranking, you know, uh, executive or owner of a company. They would disguise themselves, and then they'd enter into sort of a, like a low-level entry job of the whole company. And really, it's just all to see of how everything is working. Sometimes the people who are training them uh, treat them very poorly. Uh, they treat them very poorly. And usually what happens at the end of the episode, this huge reveal happens where it's like, oh, 
wow, you're not just this new level hire, but you're just like actually the owner of the company. You run the whole show. And it's interesting because all that times it happens, people get shocked. They think that they're in authority, but the person who they're hiring, the person they're training is actually the one in authority. You see on the surface, it looks like Jesus is just helplessly arrested, going through the motions, about to be crucified. But the reality is, it's not Jesus who was powerless against Pilate, but it is Pilate who was powerless against the plan of God. Because it is the plan of God that determines all that happened within this passage. The whole time they're in conversation, they are speaking past one another. Because as Jesus refers to authority, he is talking about the authority of the Father. And the authority of the Father, the authority of God, is way different than the authority of Pontius Pilate. These authorities, it's not even on the same category. It's on a completely different planet. So Jesus says to him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given from above. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus has this, uh, he says this thing that no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. I have the power to lay it down and to bring it back up. The authority and the power of Jesus, I think, no, the authority and the power of Jesus remains true today. No political or social power, whoever they may be, is nothing compared to the authority of Jesus. There is nothing that compares to the authority of Jesus. Even though we live in a post-Christian culture, in a post-Christian country, where sometimes the circumstances don't benefit you as a follower of Jesus, or maybe within your personal life where you find challenges at work or in family, when the cards seem against you and things seem out of control, there is something comforting in knowing this, is that despite the situation, despite the circumstances, God is in control. Jesus is the ultimate authority. And I think this is comforting for us to know because in our lives, when we feel like just things are just not going the way it is, it still remains true. Jesus is in control. Jesus is in the ultimate authority. So, so far we have seen these two pieces how Jesus is sought after and sentenced, and we've seen the authority of Jesus. The third to the third last is this, behold the innocence of Jesus. Behold the innocence of Jesus. After Pilate's interrogation, we see that Pilate realizes, okay, this man is not a political threat, okay? He's not trying to start a violent revolution. He's not trying to compete with Caesar. He has done nothing wrong. And so he repeats this phrase over and over throughout the passage, I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. He is innocent. And in his innocence, Pilate tries to free him. There are two times he does this. The first time is this, in verse 39 to 40. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So Pilate thinks that there's a chance for him to be freed because he's innocent. Every year at the Passover, they have this tradition where they would have two prisoners and they would free one and they would keep the other. And in this tradition, one of the men who's actually standing next to Jesus is a man named Barabbas. Now again, Barabbas is a man that should rightly be executed 
okay? What we know of him is that he's actually a political threat to Rome. He tries to start a rebellion with violence. He's a man who kills. He should rightly be crucified. He's the one we should keep. Jesus, he's the one that we should free. He is innocent. He did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. But the crowd yells, give us Barabbas. Keep Jesus. Give us Barabbas. A pastor named Judas Smith, he preached on uh, this passage uh, a while back. And he makes this note that as Barabbas stood there with the chains and shackles, and as they are removed, he thinks to himself, it's the crowds that set him free. But it's not the crowds that set Barabbas free. Instead, it was the love of the Heavenly Father. In order to treat Barabbas like Jesus, God would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas. And I think to myself, Lord, that's not fair. Jesus didn't do anything. Of course, he is innocent. What has he done but heal and save, forgive sins, open the, the eyes of the blind, let the lame walk, to, to invite the outcast in, to bring life? He's done nothing but good. How could this be? What is the reason? It's the love of God. It is the love of God. In 1 John, there's this verse that says this, See what kind of love the Father has given us. What kind of love is also translated as to what country. And it's a point to this idea that God's love is so foreign, it's so unique, it's so out of this world that we can't comprehend it. There is nothing like the love of God. There is nothing like the love of God. Now, it's easy for me to preach Right? And for us to understand in our heads, but Pastor Tyler State, he writes in The Love of God, this quote, I think it speaks to, speaks to us very true. He says this, I can confidently say the number one obstacle that the modern person faces, and pay attention to this, okay? It is an inability to receive the love of God. God is love. It's who he is. The summary of his character boiled down to one single defining word. We buy that intellectually, but at a deeper level, somewhere within our emotions, somewhere within our bones, we don't trust it. My friends, the love of God is so scandalous. It's so scandalous that when you and me have our chains and shackles removed, it is Jesus who takes our place. Not an intellectual idea, but it's actually a reality that God loves you. He does this because of a love that comes from the Father that is out of this world. This is the first attempt Pilate has in trying to free Jesus. But we see a second attempt of him trying to free Jesus in 19, verse 4 to 8. Pilate went out to them and said, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Eventually he says, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Jesus, at the point of this story, is beaten and mocked. Pilate's intention in this is to show that he has taken a beating and he has taken enough. He says to the leaders, 
Behold the man. Pay attention to Jesus. Look what he's been through, okay? We've beaten him. We've whipped him. we slapped him. He's bleeding. He's taken in enough punishment. He doesn't need to go through anymore. He doesn't need to die. He's been through enough. He says, behold the man. Pay attention. Look at him. But as we see, it's already solidified that he picks up the cross. And again, this is a brutal, brutal treatment. And why does it go down this way? So violent, so brutal, just there's no mercy and, and there's so much blood that is spilled. And I think one of the reasons of this is because it is the righteousness of God that is satisfied. Daryl Johnson, who was a pastor in Vancouver, writes, the true and living God does not remain neutral in the face of sin and evil. God would not be righteous, God would not be just, if God were not angry. A wrathless God is a justiceless God. So what does God do? God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. God is good and evil exists within the world. You don't have to look too far to see the tragedies that exist in our world today. The wrath of God, the anger of God is against the sin and evil that exists in our world. And that sin and evil is satisfied through Jesus taking on sin and evil's punishment. There is evil in the world, but what is going to be the answer? It is Jesus taking it on himself. If God is good and he'll do what is right in the face of evil, the answer is Jesus taking on the wrath of God. I went to a, a cathedral uh, back in the Philippines and they have these depictions and statues of Jesus and where uh, it was very graphic. And I remember me and my brother talking. Uh, when we left the cathedral, we were like, that was disturbing. Like, there were scars all over his body. There was the face of despair. There was blood that we see within these statues. And I think, this is disturbing. This is brutal. But in all this, we see that it is Jesus taking on sin and evil's punishment onto himself to satisfy a good God's wrath. Because God is righteous, it plays out within this point. So what is the point of all this? What is the point of all this? There's another diagram that we see here that it's sort of like a pyramid, all right? Everything, what is the point of all this? We see everything culminating to the central point right here up at the top. We see Jesus sought after and sentenced. We see his authority. We see his, we see his innocence. And in all of this, what is the main point? Why is that thing at the top? Why is it in the middle? John is communicating this. Behold, King Jesus. Behold, King Jesus. How this plays out is that in this passage, we see that Jesus is being mocked. And it's all a joke, pretending that he is king. But here's the irony. Jesus really is king. 
Jesus really is king. And this moment here is a moment of him receiving kinship, but in a way that is totally upside down and backwards. In the passage we see in verse 19, 1 to 3, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers struck him with their hands. Pilate does this again in hopes to satisfy a crowd demanding his death. Mark 15 notes that they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spat on him. He's getting beat with his hands, and he's being spat on. Now, this is the central point, and some scholars call it this, that this right here is the coronation of Jesus. This is the moment that he becomes king. Jesus is given a crown and a robe, right? They twist a crown of thorns, and these thorns run deep, and they stick it on his head. They give him a purple robe. They cover it over him. That's a sick joke to call him king. And they, they, they mock him. They say, hail, king of the Jews. Later on, Pilate would announce, behold, your king. Now, this is a challenging story to look at. It is so graphic. It is graphic. I know in my own life, when I grow up and I see these passages, I just let it sort of slip by. Oh, yes, Jesus was beaten. He's crucified. He died. He suffered. But in paying attention to the story, don't let these words pass you. Jesus really did suffer. And it's graphic. It's disturbing. And the story is dark with all the events leading up to it. He was betrayed by Judas, denied by Peter. He's praying to God and he's sweating blood, saying, Lord, if there's another way, let's take it. But not my will, let your will be done. He's pleading to the Father. He's abused and he's humiliated in front of the people before him as king. But this right here is actually one of the greatest mis misunderstandings of the gospel. It's one of the greatest misunderstandings of the gospel. Because this hour of darkness is not just an hour of darkness, it's an hour of glory. It's an hour of glory. How can, be this? How can it be an hour of glory? Look what happens, the way that things played out. Lord, why did you do it this way? Why? How is this an hour of glory? All of this is this, this, to display the glory of God and where Jesus is king. And in the hour of darkness, it's an hour of glory where the culmination of all these events point to this idea that Jesus is king. Behold, Jesus, who is king. And the reason why they put him as king in this way is for the glory of God. All of this, the whole story, is to display the glory of God. And the glory of God is the essence of God. And it's shown in what we've seen, that Jesus is in control of the situation. He's not a victim, but he is a king. A king who rules in a complete and different way. The glory of God is shown in his proclamation as the son of man, the one who actually has dominion over the entire earth. The glory of God is shown through his love and where he takes our place. The glory of God is shown in which through his righteousness, evil does not get away with it, but Jesus takes on evil, evil's punishment onto himself. 
Every part of the story is for the purpose of showing God's glory. Behold, Jesus as king. My friends, you and I today are invited into this story, okay? This is not a story that is just long gone and doesn't carry over, but it does. It's continuing today, and Jesus invites us into this reality. He invites us into this reality. If I can ask the worship team to come up, and we'll uh, close shortly here. In this story that we're taking place, the central passage, everything that build up to this moment is to behold Jesus as king. To behold him as king. Now, as we see this story every week, we remind ourselves of the story. So if you're in, uh, if you're in communion, uh, one of the ushers, you can uh, get ready to come forward. We remember the story of Jesus uh, through a number of ways. Um, and one of them is through taking communion. The final meal that he had before going to the cross, he's sitting with his disciples, his best friends, his best friends who he'd been traveling with for three years. And he breaks bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. And he offers you wine. And he says, this is my blood which symbolizes his blood. I want to invite the communion ushers when they're ready to come forward. And the bread and juice, we take it today, every Sunday, to take part in the story of Jesus. And as we reflect on the story of Jesus, let's reflect on his love for you. Let's reflect on how he is in control and how he is righteous and good. That in the moments within your life that seem out of control or lonely or you think things are unfair, let Jesus meet you there. Let him meet you there. How it's going to work is uh, we're going to have a the first row be dismissed to come forward and take communion. And then once that row takes a seat, the row behind it, you're ready to go and dismiss forward. And so before we enter into it, I just want to pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for everyone that is here. It is no accident, Lord, that the people in this room are in this room because I believe that you want to speak to them today about your love, about your righteousness, about your glory. Father, meet us in the spaces in which we face the challenges of life. That, Lord, when we face our darkest hours, may we be reminded that this is not the end, but instead you are in control, that you love us, that you're righteous, that all this happens for your glory. Teach us to behold you as king a king who is good. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.